This is the Constructionist Podcast, where we take ancient stories, the person of Jesus, current events and topics, and help you construct a new Christian worldview that's relevant and loving to those around you. I'm your host, Kevin Bates. I'm a semiotician and community builder, looking at the signs of the times to build a better future together. Hey, welcome everybody. You're tuned into the Constructionist Podcast, and tonight we're continuing with this topic of our basic existence, constructing a worldview. We desire for you to be able to navigate your life with a framework of worldview that is relevant and loving to people. That's a big difference in what we're doing compared to what others have done in the past. So we are back into an every week broadcast and diving deep into developing an honest, loving worldview. And if you remember from previous podcasts, we're using an outline of worldview development from a Belgium atheist philosopher by the name of Leo Apostol. So a worldview or worldview um, is the fundamental cognitive orientation of an individual or society encompassing the whole of the individual's or society's knowledge and point of view. So it's a fundamental cognitive orientation. It's full of values. It's full of ethics. It's full of understanding. It's full of thinking. It's full of framework. It's full of history. It's full of future. It's full of hope. It's full of all kinds of things. It's full of understanding, but it's a fundamental cognitive orientation. We use our brains to develop a worldview. So here's the framework. An explanation of the world, number one, and we did that a couple, oh, probably a month ago. We tried to explain the world the best that we know it. And then where are we heading? And so that's where last week we talked about heaven and hell. And are we really destined for heaven and destined for hell as we've always understood it? And that's something to really think through. Uh, Now, tonight, we're talking about values and answers to ethical questions or values maybe that answer ethical questions. So what should we be doing with our destination, impending destination, or what should we be doing with our explanation of the world? And then a methodology. How are we going to carry this out? How are we going to attain the goals of our worldview? And then what is true and false? That's where we're going to get into truth, objective, subjective truth. That's going to be a fun one in a couple of weeks. And then we use the building blocks to put it all together. So we look at the past, we look at the present, we look at the future, and we construct, we're called constructionists, we're going to construct a worldview. So this six-point framework is where we are or what we're using to build a more loving, understanding, and compassionate worldview. So whether you're joining us live now or whether you're going to be listening to this in the future, what we desire is we want to have you answer or ask questions in the chat. We want you to leave comments on whatever social media channel you listen to because we really want you to learn to construct something because if we don't learn to construct something, we're not going to move forward. If you reject something in the past or our framework is disrupted in some way and we're not constructing something 
for the future, usually we just revert back to what we know. We just revert back to what's in the past. So this is our thinking space where we present ideas and thoughts. We kind of muse around a little bit. Tonight, we're going to muse around a lot. We don't have any cut and dry answers for you when it comes to big ethical questions. Uh, Sheree is going to take the last section and hopefully we're going to get to a bonus section there. But especially some of the things that she's going to be talking about, uh, there's just really not clear, clear answers on. And I think that ethical questions in general, there's not clear answers on. Jake's going to take some scientific ones. Sometimes talking about science is a little more cut and dry than talking about maybe some bigger moral dilemmas that we have in life. So this is a thinking space, and I hope that you learned something from today. So welcome, Sheree and Jake. These are my two associates from Resonate, and we do this Constructionist podcast each every week. So welcome. I'm really appreciative of both of you. You can financially support us by following the link uh, on the chat or in the show notes or whatever social media platform you listen to, there will be links that you can connect into resonatelife.org and you can go over to the give, give tab and connect into that giving site. Uh, but most importantly, we want you to interact with us. We want you to join us on this uh, each and every week. And when we're, we're, we're better together, we learn better together, and when we can have an iterative conversation, we can grow together, and hopefully, by the end of at least this hour, we'll come up with at least one solution to some moral dilemma, or maybe just a little bit of framework to understand moral dilemma. Okay, so I'm going to take the first section, and we are talking about values and answers to our ethical questions. Now, there's a, there's a couple of definitions I want to give us because a lot of people misunderstand or misinterpret values and passions. When I have conviction or passion towards something, that's an expression of what I value. So if I am expressing something, it's the outcome of of what I've maybe learned over a lifetime or maybe learned in the last week and I'm reacting. So my passion is definitely something different than value. So over the last two years, what we've seen is very little value or very little values and a lot of passion. So we need to sift through and try to figure out, well, what are values versus what are passions. So I was on Twitter the other day and Adam Grant said this on September 13th, 2022. So very fresh material, uh, which I find interesting and meaningful what he said. Uh, yet I believe what he said needs to be unpacked because we can tweet out whatever we want off the top of our head. And, you know, sometimes it makes sense. Sometimes it doesn't. So much of our culture right now, again, I will say is built out of passion and not value. So a lot of people claim values. Well, these are my values and that's what I'm standing up for. But yet it's really just a passion. And most passions follow group think. Most do. Now, what he says, and he's an organizational psychologist, what Adam Grant says is following your passion is a luxury. Following your values is a necessity. 
Passion is a fickle magnet. It pulls you towards your current interests. Values are a steady compass. They point you towards a future purpose. Passion brings immediate joy. Values bring lasting meaning. I would say there's a lot of truth there that people follow passion over value. So some claim though that our passions are built out of echo chambers. And I would say that's not true. I, I probably have believed that off and on over the last handful of years that our passions are built out of echo chambers, but psychologically or our algorithms, our algorithms on social media or on the internet, when we're scrolling through Instagram and it seems like we're talking about a subject and all of a sudden Instagram is talking about the same subject. So when we, when we have those coincidental type, uh, you know, epiphanies or whatever we're having, it seems like that that would be what's fueling our passion. But psychologically, we know that when we hold to some conviction or when we hold to some passion and we hear the antithesis or the the argument against that passion, that solidifies our passion even greater. So listening to the opposite usually solidifies our passions even more. So the counter argument fortifies and hardens our brains to the point that we become inflexible and we're not even able to hear the other side or the opposite side, if we want to say it that way. We're not even able to hear it. We're not even able to listen to it. That doesn't happen just by hearing people that agree with you. That happens by, and it might be fortified a little bit. Oh yeah. You know, Dan down the street, Sally up the street, Joe up there, you know, like they, they agree with me. Um, you know, science, this scientist agrees with me on this, but what fortifies and structurally builds our passions is listening to the counter argument. So what are our values? What could be values that maybe you hold dear to? Some people have never listed out their values. They've never really had that exercise of what do I value? And what I tell people is I, well, to discover what you value, just kind of sketch out on a paper what you spend most of your time with or who do you spend most of your time with or what ideas do you think about the most? And if you find yourself thinking about like maybe a political subject and it's just a reoccurring type, just regurgitating theme in your head, maybe that's something that you value maybe too much that maybe that's something that is causing you to maybe even stumble or falter in life and it's just consuming your brain. Just know that what you value, usually you spend your time doing or spend your time you know, in activity towards, usually. Sometimes that's a passion. Most of the time though, you start digging into what you're really spending your time doing and thinking about. Those are your values. So, <clears throat> Loyalty is a value. Spirituality is a value. Hum humility, compassion, honesty, kindness, integrity, selflessness, determination, generosity, courage, tolerance, trustworthiness, <laughs> altruism, appreciation, empathy, self-reliance, and attentiveness. 
So those are things that we value and spend our time doing these things. So we spend our time even in activities. You might enjoy, well, skiing season's coming up. So you might enjoy skiing or you might enjoy hiking. You're trying to get a fall thing in before the weather hits and you're trying to sneak that passion in. How you behave in that passion and what you're doing in that passion definitely shows your value. So if you value hu humility and compassion, when you go out and hike, you're going to leave the area, excuse me, you're going to, humility and compassion, you might bring somebody along that has never hiked or camped or done something like that before. So you have maybe a heart of honesty and kindness towards that, towards that person in that activity, whatever it is, you can think about those things in your own time. But beliefs also are different than values, which are different than can passions. I, can I ask yeah. something Kevin, about values? Yeah. yeah. Your list of values are all positive. Yeah. Do values have to be positive? Gosh, I thought about that after I wrote the list. Cause I just kind of looked at, and you know, I think that values can be negative but I want to have good intent. I want to have positive intent towards people. And I want to say that people don't value hate. Right. No, I think you're onto something. Like I think people don't value hate, but maybe they value life to be a certain way. Mm-hmm. Um, or they value their own group, whatever that is so much. Version that, or whatever, yeah. Yeah. Could, yeah. could that be hateful? Yeah, I think so. I think, it, I think it could be hateful, yeah. I think the group could be, you know, have a sense of apathy or a sense of negativity, whatever that word is that we want to, you know, that's not positive. What if your value uh, is sarcasm? I think that's a disorder, <laughs> to be honest. I think I think people who are sarcastic are just insecure and they're trying to cover up for their own insecurities. That's what I think. Yes. So what the, <laughs> Rob says that he values big emotions. Okay. So what, so what I hear you saying is that a negative value is a disorder or a positive value, or a positive is the value? Well, I would say that a positive value is more of, mm, well, I don't know yet. Maybe we need to muse around that a little bit. Because I, I would say, you know, something? is a negative value sin? I mean, is that what we I think? I think Trey wanted to say something there. Yeah. Yeah, well, like with another example, I doubt people really value greed. I do think people value success. Yeah. And they value yeah. money. Which could be um, like an indicator of yeah. success. Or right. maybe people value power. Yeah. Um, you know, so like greed is the expression of that value, but I don't think it's the value. Totally. Or greed can be an expression of that value, I suppose. Of the... Yeah. Well, some people value, I think the value is collecting. 
that would be a value. I'm a collector, <laughs> right? So I value collections and, you know, having a coin collection or a stamp collection versus a cocaine collection. I mean, it's just like, there's a difference, you know? So like one is they both could be addictions, right? But the value is collecting what we collect and how that is how that's treated becomes a moral issue. That's the moral issue. How I'm hurting people with my collection, collecting. Mm. Mm. Well, let me, let, me, let me finish introducing some other thoughts. And we can definitely go back to that because, can, Shreya, can you put a marker on that to make sure that we go back to it? I can't. Right. What's the, what specifically? Can, can values be negative versus values okay. be positive? I think we need to go back to that. So what I was going to about ready to say is beliefs are basic assumptions that we make about the world. How, where we get those beliefs, you can get those from the Bible. You can get those from spirit, other spiritual texts. You know, your beliefs are, are assumptions that you're making basically maybe off of just your own opinion sometimes or what, you know, somebody told you once back in the day becomes your beliefs or what an ancient text tells you back in the day, that becomes a belief, an assumption about the way the world is and, and how we are to maybe be in the world. Uh, our values stem from beliefs. So if we believe in God or we believe in, you know, this Jesus God and Jesus then forgives sins and we're to be like little Christ's, little Jesus's, then we would then forgive people. We would forgive sins. So that the value becomes forgiveness. The belief is that Jesus did this for me so I can do this for others. Passion though. So if we have beliefs, then our assumptions, values come out of those beliefs, then passion is a state of emotion that we're acting on in those values. So it's that intense driving, sometimes overmastering feeling or conviction in the value that stems from belief. So when somebody is disloyal, does that make you angry? And did you just flip your crap over somebody being disloyal? Or if somebody is like not kind, and they just think that being right is the answer and they're not kind. Are we angry? Our passions for kindness or our passions for our passion is the expression of the emotion of the conviction or the value where it all stems from those types of things. So there's some ethical uh, lenses that I want to look through tonight. And these are really important because these are how our ethics or our values, let's say, these are how our values are formed. And I want to say all my values are formed from scripture. Uh, that's just not true or real to say. Uh, I can weigh my values or my ethics towards scripture, but it definitely... Our values have a cultural component, a subjective experiential component to them that we do have to weigh in on those things. Uh, otherwise, we don't live in reality. And we're about, we need to live in reality. That's what we discussed first week. And so we're going to ground ourselves in reality when it comes to our 
values. Okay, so values and ethics, let's just talk about ethics for a minute. I'm gonna use interchangeably some words. Ethics are not the same as feelings. Passions have feelings in them, but ethics are not the same as feelings. Ethics or values are not the same as religion. Ethics are not law. Ethics are not the same as cultural norms. And ethics are not science. So they might have scientific components or discussions around them, but that's not, it's like my friend Tara would say, that we don't believe in science. We might follow science. We might value scientific methodology, but we don't believe in science. So a lot of people confuse belief, values, ethics, and, and like in this case, you know, what they believe in science. So there's lenses that we look through to develop values. Like how, I mean, why do I value empathy, appreciation, altruism, and trustworthiness? Why would I ever value that? So we have different lenses that we look through that we need to be very careful when we look through these lenses. Some people will only look through one lens, like my rights, right? So when you have the rights lens where there's basically a, uh, uh, like law and and practices protect and respect our human rights. That's a lens that we look through. So a value that we have needs to look through what we'll call the rights lens. But that's one lens of many. So a lot of people get up, hung up on maybe the justice lens on one pendulum swung side of the justice lens. So those people who think that there's an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, let's, you know, if you murder somebody, let's send them to the electric chair. That ethic or that value that you're stating, or even that belief is seen through a justice lens. And so that justice lens in its basic form is each person should be given their due. One side of that lens, yes, we should all be given human rights, equal opportunities and work on equity and equality. Yes, those are just things. But a lot of people just like hang out on one side of the camp, you know, and, and, just are the eye for an eye type of person and just kill them because they're, you know, this or that, we just need to kill them. So the justice lens is a very careful lens that we need to think through and see through because equal treatment, uh, I believe in, I also believe in grace and forgiveness. And so how do we see through justice? <clears throat> then the utilitarian lens. This is where how my action impacts others. Do my values impact other people? And then that leads into another lens called the common good lens. And that is the community or the communal, like what people would say, the, the, the uh, can I say social lens. It's a more social lens that people think through. So we sell our possessions and give to the poor for the common good. I would say whatever you think about Patagonia right now, you know, that's, 
that's a common good lens that that person saw through. So he, the owner of Patagonia, if you didn't read the news, set up a trust that gives that money to the cause that he believed in for the common good of all humanity. And whether you agree with how global warming is coming about or whatever you believe, and if you criticize him for how that is his ethical lens, that's his value lens that he saw through with his company. Uh, then the virtue lens where uh, the, there's certain virtues that I would say are more innate to human beings, our humanity that provides the development of our entire humanity. Uh, these are dispositions maybe that we have. These are habits that we have. And so this is where like maybe love fits into. Love is a virtue. Uh, uh, fairness might be considered a virtue. So we see through a virtue lens what's good for humanity. Then there's the care lens where we use the care of the earth, the care for others, the care of humanity. Maybe this is where empathy fits in, that, that the empathy virtue is, or the empathy value is seen through the lens of care. And so this is a very relational lens. It is, well, is this the lens of kindness. This is the lens of alongsideness coming alongside people. So these are the lenses that we help us, I guess I should say, help us develop our values. We might have a certain level of belief, yet my personal experience tells me something and my cultural integration tells me something how I'm showing up in the world tells me something. And so then I start using these lenses. So you might not agree with certain things that are happening in the world. Uh, you might not agree with what certain people say. You have to ask the question, why? You have to ask the question, what values am I holding on to and developing that are making me say no or yes? When I say no or yes to something, or I get passionate, angry, upset, start acting out, even turn to violence uh, over something, you have to ask yourself, what value am I basing that on? Does my beliefs point towards that action? Because honestly, all of that develops into a worldview, how you see the world. All of it develops through these lenses is how we see the world and how we act in the world. And we need to be very careful when we act out in the world. Is that harming people? Is there care? Is it utilitarian? Is it virtue-based? What is it based on? And, and those are careful lenses. So an ethical question or an ethical dilemma that is pretty common in psychology or ethics class, if you ever take an ethics class and in you know, like online master's class or something. So if you take an ethics class, one of the dilemmas that they'll throw at you is the trolley problem. And the trolley problem is there's a trolley that is headed down the tracks. 
and the tracks split into two tracks. So on one track, on one set of tracks, there's a one person standing on that set of tracks. And if the trolley takes that one track, that one set of tracks, that trolley is going to kill that one person. But if he takes, the trolley takes the other set of tracks, so remember the tracks split in two. If the trolley takes the other set of tracks, there's now five people on that set of tracks. And if the trolley takes the tracks, the trolley will kill five people. So that age old, is it better to kill one person and save five? Or is it better to kill five and save the one? Now, somebody that's just cold is going to say, well, my ethics and values say kill five because they're worthless. That one person is the means of production for all of society. And so we need to save them. That's how somebody has answered that in my life. Other people will say, well, that one person is just sitting there alone. So obviously they're a loser because they're alone. So they just need to be killed to save the five who are already in community. And what that means is that they are actually working for the health and the and of society. And so they need to be saved. Kill the one. So I just give that simple example, right, of what you value and what you see, the one person or the five person. How you see them is whether or not you'll react have passion towards them, be angry towards them, and speak poorly about them. Now, let's just say you're not going to kill them. You're just going to speak poorly about them. You're going to get on Facebook and maybe just rail on that one person or rail on that five person. Pun intended. Nah, no pun intended. Right. All right. So let's get into our discussion. That's a lot to unpack already. Are we are we going to answer that? Yeah, and we're going to let's get into a discussion. And well, we're, let's just discuss it all. We could go back, Sheree. What were we going to go back to? Oh, can values be negative? Oh, let's talk about that for a while. Go ahead, start out the that discussion. Yeah, I, I, I think um, an expression of values can be negative. I don't think, I don't believe that people choose to hold negative values. Um, yeah, I have a hard time with that too. Yeah. And when we express those things, I think it's probably covering over a value that is more positive, but is mm. unhealthy or I like the word disordered. Um, not in a, like a pathological or a diagnosis kind of sense. Um, but just in a, not fitting the framework of how, you know, we're all, we're all nature, we're all community. And when something is out of order, then it causes harm. Yeah. Yeah. That's really good. I think that it's, it's when we become when our values become disordered and, and let's say, let's say love turns to apathy and that becomes disordered. 
I think most people that have love, or that most human beings value love, even though they express apathy. I mean, yeah. even going the more disorder, you could say when love turns into concupiscence. Say that again. Take take that word and unpack that because I just heard Cupid and concupiscence and concupiscence. I, like my language, my language, vo is vocabulary is very small. Extreme <laughs> lust. Oh, when when love yeah. turns into extreme lust, what do you do? Yeah. Well, that's an ethical question of what do we accept, you know, as love. What I heard Shreya say is that you choose your values. Hmm. I think when we're asked to speak about them, we do. Okay. Yeah. And so can our... So then what displays our values if, if it's not a choice? How I spend our time, how I make our friends. How we treat our friends. Well, our... How we make our money. Do you believe that some things are inherited? Like... Um, Value-wise? Sure. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Or is that a family system? Family systems are where values are are given by inherited do you mean genetically like are we genetically disposed to value certain things well like some people believe in original sin do you believe in original value like our yeah. human nature is our human nature like the like the dalai lama would say our human our nature is good and that's an inherited value goodness is an inherited value where negative emotions the dalai lama would also say that negative emotions are because of environmental reasons so we adopt like then sin into our lives so are we born like you know there's there's a couple of historical christian ideas are we born good or the propensity toward or bent towards good? Are we born bent towards sin? Are we born pure and good from the start? Are we born with sin? I would agree with the Dalai Lama on that point. I think he said it well. <laughs> the, uh, well, yeah, I mean, I think, definitely. and even Genesis one and through yeah. three, if you follow that story, are an are an, an errant vow or an errant sea is is good beautiful so what do you do with romans 5 then i could twist that all around <laughs> <laughs> that our sin comes from one person and we inherited death our sin entered the world through one person sin yeah. capital s sin and that is a if you follow pauline theology it's the character of sin entered the world through through one person okay so can are we do we inherit goodness we inherit yeah. <laughs> goodness we do not inherit we are not created in the image of evil we are created in the image of good so 
Sharia, what were you going to say? Because I have a so there for. Yeah, inherit feels funny to me because of how genetic it sounds. But I, w I would say we're born good because we exist. So I believe that all people, so therefore, this is my so therefore, because I agree with both of you. Uh, I believe that we're created in the image of God. And if we're created in the image of God and the image of God would be all of these values, maybe that I listed off plus a lot of other values, nature, like my nature is all of these things or my virtue is all of these things. I might be able to develop the craft of expression of generosity, appreciation, empathy, self-reliance, attentiveness, all that kind of stuff. Uh, but those things are embedded in me. And I do agree with the Dalai Lama that, that, and, and I do agree with the Buddhist practice of positive intent that when we look at others to have, the positive intent that most people want to be good mm -hmm. and express goodness. I think, I think all people want to be good. Right. No matter what, even the outliers. I, I think that most mm -hmm. people want to be good. I mean, if you listen to some death row inmates that they've done some pretty bad things. And most of them have a different story in their mind about what occurred. Many of them have a different story that happened in their mind than what the evidence shows. And that's pretty much why they're on death row is that they had this like maybe this out of mind experience or maybe they had a moment of insanity or maybe to take a life of another person, you have to have that moment of disassociation in your mind that this is an option to take another life is an option. That's a disassociation in mind. And when somebody has that disassociation and then they reflect back and the stories that I've heard and, and listen to people and even people that I've known in prison ministry, when I used to go into jails and stuff and listen to people that have killed other people, their version of their life now doesn't reflect that story that disassociated story. So most people that I've talked to have a much different nature inside of them, even though they killed somebody in the past. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so I would say that whatever that event was or whatever led up to that event or all of those pieces that put through, you know, they were, they were put through or whatever that ultimately they want to be good. Which killing people leads to our next issue of the trolley. <laughs> it does. Do we kill the one or do we kill the five? <laughs> is and, that the next and, issue or there's more? Well, That's part it. of the issue with it is that you have to be the one to pull the lever. So when you make that yeah. choice, like even if you are saving the five, you are actively choosing to kill one person. And yeah. that doesn't feel good. <laughs> I think to walk away from the lever is the best choice. Oof. And let the chips fall where they may. Gosh. Let the chips fall where they may. Wow. That's not your choice to make. Wow.
That's harsh. Harsh. <laughs> harsh. That is harsh. Well, the, uh, I would. I what I, I would. Can do, I preface my my uh, story? Well, what I was going to say is I that that probably the Jesus response would be to leave oh. the lever. <laughs> oh, to leave okay. the lever and walk onto the track and tell the person to get, get off, off the track. track. Yeah, and take it over. Yeah. Or maybe the person just needs to tell all the people to get off the track. Yeah. You know, don't, yeah. don't move the lever. Just get it. Tell everybody to get off the track. <laughs> I just want to throw out there that there they, are so many probably problem memes and they're my favorite genre of meme. Oh yeah. Yeah, totally. Okay. Jake, what they, were you, what were you going to, I mean, say you have a, you have a, a, a party hosted on a track and there's five of you just sitting there and not paying attention to the train coming. Okay. I'll just leave that there. Um, the you're drunk on the track. Is that what you're saying, or what? Anyways, um, Yellowstone <laughs> when it burned really bad, like fifteen, twenty years ago. Can't remember the exact like era it burned. I just know the story. Um, there were within uh, our lifetime. Yeah. Within our lifetime, I think my lifetime, maybe. Yeah. Um, it's a pack of, I want to say elk. And they're being surrounded by the fire. Yeah. And the Forest Service had to make the decision, do we save the elk or do we let them burn? Do we step in? And I believe that they, they let them burn because the fire was started by lightning, not a human. And then in other cases, they will save herds because the fire is anthropogenic. Right. Started by human or perpetuated by humans. And so they then put out the fire when that happens. Say again. And they'll put out the fire when that happens and they'll and make they'll the put out the fires. But they, 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 the fire they fought ones. the other fires too, but they just yeah. didn't actively save that herd and, and divert their resources all there. Hmm. And so in our trolley problem, who's pushing the trolley? Humans. You sure? You never know. This could be rolling on tracks. Empty. Oh, empty. Okay. Could be empty. I don't see a driver. I don't see a driver either. But I see that person on the lever. The person that has the handle. Walk away from the lever. Tell people to get off the tracks. Walk away from the lever. Do your best to get people off the track. It's not your decision to make. So if the people, the group of people are the cocaine collectors... Sure. See, when you start adding things into this problem, right? That's when our values kick in and our passions, really our passions kick in. And we mm -hmm. say, let them die. Uh, it's kind of like, you know, most of our, most of our values are forgiveness. Like as a Christian, our worldview would be built off of forgiveness. Reconciliation would be 
built off of grace and mercy, would be built off of altruism and generosity, and the death penalty. Doesn't make sense. No. So how how could our that's why the why Pope John Paul said he didn't believe in the death penalty because it removed the opportunity of grace and forgiveness on earth. The and I I really penal, appreciated that. Penal institutions, um, penitentiaries, yeah, were started by Quakers so that the death penalty would end. Mm. So they could right. pay penance. <laughs> Right. or correctional institutions so they'd be corrected and not just thrown away. So let's discuss some other things because okay. I want to go back and forth between you and Shreya, Jake and Shreya, and I want to talk about some ethical issues. So Shreya, I'm going to ask you the first one. Okay. okay? So here's an ethical issue. What are human rights versus oh. human privileges? You want to start there? I do. Okay. I um, want to start with you. Would it be okay if I divert a little bit because I'm on 1% battery even though I'm plugged in? Yes. And I got to make a switch real quick. Yes. Okay. So let's go to another one. Let's okay. start with See Jake. See you then. soon. Okay. So uh, she's just going to switch really quick, I'm sure. Okay, Okay. Yep. so Jake, you're going to answer the question, should we make everyone normal? I'm just going to ask it that way. I don't want to ask it any other way. I understand. And I want you to respond to that. So should we make everyone normal? Yes. No. Um so the, the issue with this question is that normal or what, what is normal are cultural norm, norms that are learned and reinforced by parents, friends, teachers, and others while growing up in a specific society. Norms are different across culture. She's back there for a moment. Norms yep. are different across culture, across across boundaries, even across uh, different parts of your own city. So your own little cultural group, that's where your norm or normal comes from. And so we have these ideas of, of what is normal, and we talk about gender a lot, or LGBTQIA+. And so what is normal in regards to gender or sexual orientation, that's what we hear a lot of. Um, but there's some also some other normals that, that we, we talk about a lot, but we're not necessarily having an open dialogue with them. We are just accepting the way that, that we do. And that's the ism. So like, what do we do with age or what do we do with, uh, uh, your ability? Like, do you have ableism, racism, sexism? Uh, classism, all these normals of how of how you should be. Uh, then you get into what is normal and how does your your brain act? What is what is normal? So you have this word called non neurotypical and neurotypical. Does is your brain typical or is it not? Um, the the DSM, 
but it's a diagnostic and statistic manual of mental disorders in five series five now kind of points out what the current understanding for psychological abnormalities are and so mental and, and psychological abnormalities so all the way from autism to mpsi to um, gosh lots of different things that are there that that point out that it's not necessarily normal according to them there are five different variations because normal has changed a lot and so that manual keeps coming out to be to be more inclusive i feel like of what of what normal is and then you have this test called the minnesota multifacet personality inventory and so it takes your understanding of yourself and puts you on a bell curve statistical bell curve for other people that's the mmpi yeah. The Minnesota Multifacetic Personality Inventory. And that's that's where you look at yourself and you're understanding the world and how do you line up with other people. Um trying to read Rob's comment. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We can we can and go no back circle there. no circles. Yeah. Yep. There are no circles, but in bell curves, uh, that's what normal is. So we can actually like culturally within your subcontext of culture, we can map out what you think is normal because normal is you. Right. <laughs> so that's kind of the problem with normal is that when you look at somebody else, should we make everyone normal? The question is, do I make everyone look and act and feel just like me? Mm-hmm. So what is, what is out of <clears throat> bounds? Um, I would say placing, and we talk about, we're talking about constructing a new Christian worldview. And we talk about placing Christian norms on unchristian people or not Christian people, but I think it's more of placing churched norms are what the church wants to see normal, mm-hmm. not say Christianity, Christ, but what institutional church wants to see as normal on unchurched or dechurched people. And all that's doing is expanding the reach of church abuse. So the two litmus tests I have for normal are, does it hold to the, to the image of God? So in your normal, do you uphold or do you break down the image of God? And the image of God is, is wholeness, it's, it's beautiful, it's love, it's generosity, caring, it's all the things that we experience from God. But the second litmus question is, is it loving to self and others? So in your own expression of what you want to be normal, are you loving to yourself? Are you loving to the person that, that you want to be and who you could be? And are you loving to the people around you that, that love you as well? So that's my, that's my ethical issue of is everyone normal? 
or should we make everyone normal? Depends. <laughs> well, that's where the ethical question is then brought into play is number one, what is normal? Just because you're unfamiliar with it doesn't mean that it's not normal. Mm -hmm. And, and that's where most people are at. Well, that's not normal. Well, that's not your normal. <laughs> uh, right. So we have that dilemma. We also have some factors that, you know, something new might be presented. Again, it's not familiar, but maybe it's a part of like a similar community of people uh, living in a certain area. And then something new is introduced that, that might throw them off of, you know, their, their normal pattern. So it could be, you know, as simple as, oh, maybe, you know, switching over to, you know, now, now we're going to move from, you know, traditional power to, you know, solar power, or we're moving to electric cars, or so we start like reacting when these things are introduced, they're new, new technology. Uh, they, you know, people reacted when the cell phone was invented, and people started carrying their phones around and, and these reactions over like new ideas or new things. There's simple things like that, that throw us off from normal so should we all be doing these things or should we all be participating or is it okay that all of us participate in these things we have that maybe some what i'll call external forces or external ideas but then we have like our human person and you brought up like the LGBTQIA plus community. And I think that Christians have really, number one, done a really terrible job in showing love and addressing community, lots of different communities of people with kindness and compassion and generosity and grace and such. But I had a professor address this issue a long time ago uh, when it came to trans or lgbtq in general that there is a there's actually our genetics or our dna in a sense our chromosomes you know are are not necessarily a consistent pattern of normal so we all have variations of our chromosomes we all have variations of our genetic makeup and so to judge somebody so harshly because they don't fit a certain like standard or your standard, uh, he addressed it in a way he was talking about um, how our genetics uh, really are expressed in so many different ways uh, and different patterns and different like, I would say even our, our sex assignments are so varied and you have percentages and statistical percentages that you can base you know conclusions on of just the human you know community of people living on earth there's just so much variation to human community that 
for us to look at the human part, just the human community and to say, this is normal or this is not normal in even our way we express ourselves as human, the way that we, you know, our sexual preferences or even, you know, somebody that is experiencing, you know, a, a something connected to trans uh, that we need to be very, very careful with our finger pointing and our judgments. It's wrong because there is so much variation just in the human condition and who we are. So what is normal? It's very difficult to, to address normal in such things. But then we have a filter. And remember the ethical filter? Uh, our ethical filter needs to then kick in and we have a care lens, we have a love lens, we have a compassion lens, we have a humanity lens that I think Christians have forgotten to look through a lot of times. When we mm -hmm. try to put, put the label of normal on anyone, no one's normal. No one. Yeah, because just the human community is so diverse and variant. Is that a word? Variant? Gratified. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there is no such thing as normal. So, like, the question is, should we make everyone normal? I think, I think the, the better response would be to make everyone abnormal. Well, I heard a, I, the reason why I bring up the subject that I did is I heard a preacher just here recently say that trans is a myth huh and i it it bothered me it it bothered me a lot because i know people and i have talked to people and have not necessarily you know a deep relationship with the community but i know people who do and to say that something is a myth is like just like discounting somebody's human experience. And you call that an invalidation of somebody's being. Mm -hmm. And that's just not, not what Jesus would ever do. Jesus actually addressed different people in the crowds, you know, the Sermon on the Mount in a way that certain people will attain higher, like even blessing in the kingdom because of their quote abnormal <laughs> so mm -hmm. so you know like not to say that people are at certain people are abnormal but he addressed people in a certain way that those that are marginalized on the outside or not considered part of the in crowd uh will be attaining the first place at the seating table uh than others so I think that as Christians, we need to be very careful with this. Should we make everybody normal? And what it, you're right, Jake, what is normal? Mm -hmm. But also what comes up for me is that I think that idea of normal is just a form of control. And yeah. I, I think... Um, I think that trying to have control is antithetical to a Christian worldview. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think you're, you're exactly right that, that that's trying to set the standard of what is normal is anti-Christian. Mm -hmm. Yet, 
mathematically we know what normal is because of the bell curves because of bell curves we know what normal is yet when we put policy and politic and on to what we think normal should be and not mm -hmm. follow I'll say even science because like that is a measuring tool that we use. Um, and I'm, I'm speaking more to the, the MMPI at the moment mm -hmm. that we know what normal is and we know when we have deviated from normal. Right. And can I pause you for a second? Cause I want to gain some understanding. So just because a belt curve says something about a current society, right? So normal height for males living in the United States in Oregon, right? Is this, whatever that yeah. normal height normal is. is. Yeah. But a hundred years ago, that wasn't the case. So is it normal quote, are you saying for the era of time? For this current culture and and position that you're in, place your current place and culture, you can tell what normal is. I mean, you can tell what normal is for the entire world if you if you're going to take it like a, a a very huge MMPI and actually put it over all of the world, and everyone takes it. Um, but if you have a group of people and they take it together, or you have like uh, white males from 30 to 50 or you have white females from 30 to 50 each of those things we can statistically say what is normal mathematically statistically scientifically we know right. what's normal I but have like, an idea are you say are you saying normal or common normal the scientific understanding of normal. Okay. All right. Thank you. Just needed some clarity because that like, word is just kind of hit my shoulders wrong. Yeah, yeah. I think part of it, though, is do we view normal as descriptive or prescriptive? Because normal so, can just describe what is what is common, what is um, typical, maybe. Um, but if, yeah. If it's just describing, that's that's completely different than saying this is the way things ought to be. Yeah, and so okay, so there's exactly there, there's okay, so if Jesus's truths right transcend all time, okay, right, then does our normal then should that speak what things ought to be, or what things are? Do you want to answer for a shrimp? Um, I can try. It's going to be a word salad instead of a coherent thought. <laughs> okay, then I can um, I can answer, and then you make can go. sure there's croutons on there, please. <laughs> to yeah. me, what you do with those truths make you normal or abnormal. Oh, interesting. Yeah, what I, what was coming up for me was definitely the difference between like action and being. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Like what we do with an action. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is what makes the difference. And so if you take the position that all truth is subjective, 
and based all 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 truths are social socioeconomic axioms that are based upon objective truth and the objective truth is the is the person of god and the personality of god jesus truth is objective and we base all action all of our subjective truths because all of what we think are true is actually subjective truth upon that person jesus because that is the only truth that we have that's the only compass then really how we respond to that becomes our normal okay so pause for a second because i think that we're onto some good good stuff here so christians Mm -hmm. Christians have spoken for a very long time about how things ought to be. Yeah. Yet when you spend so much time in how things ought to be, you're not living in reality. And when you don't live in reality long enough, that's a psychological disorder. You're you no have an alternate. You're an alternate. You you're living in an alternate reality. You're outside. Are you telling so, me that Christians have a disorder? <laughs> well, some people think that. <laughs> so, so I think that a Christian ethic and a, a Christian belief, a Christian value, ethic, and passion should be: yes, the world ought to be a certain way. Yet the reality is the world is this way. And the Christian ethic is how do we behave in the world that is this way? And also how do we help the world become this way? Okay. So there's some, there's some really con complex things though. When you start imposing yeah. your version of how the world ought to be onto so like love, love, so how do you know what truth is? That which is closer to love than far away. So if heaven is a place of love, that is a truth about the way that the world ought to be. If mm -hmm. Jesus, if like, a, like I've said before, if I'm a parent and the, and the one thing that I want my children to know more than anything on the planet no matter what they do, who they claim to be, or what they become, or what job they hold, no matter what, if they have no job, no matter what, I want my children to know that I love them. Right? So if God is any, anything like me and my feelings towards my children, God's children, that is what God wants us to know as well and our expression of that is heaven so the truth that i need to bind myself to is god loves me and god loves you and no matter who you are no matter what you claim to be what you're doing not doing saying not saying no matter the mistakes that you make the one thing that god wants you to know is that you are loved 
period. Mm-hmm. That's the way the world ought to be. But for some reason, we have found ourselves as Christians crafting a certain a like, for example, with with uh, gay rights or gay marriage or some of the some of the LGBTQ discussions, we have developed a sexual ethic versus a love ethic. Or when it comes to morality, we in general, we have this moral ethic versus a grace ethic. And I think a grace ethic transcends all time, no matter what common or normal or abnormal is at the moment. So grace and love transcend all time. Forgiveness transcends all time, right? Reconciliation transcends all time. So those are the ethics or those are the, excuse me, the values that I think need to speak very loudly that are not speaking because our worldview is to make the world into the version of what I think it ought to be. Mm -hmm. There's a lot there. Yeah. You're agreeing with some eye rolls. <laughs> uh, I'm not trying to roll my eyes. I'm just, you know, looking up at my brain to think <laughs> the thoughts in there somewhere. There's um, thoughts in there somewhere. Okay, Sharia, yeah. we got to get to yours. Okay. Your, at least one. At, at least, least one of them. Yeah. Can you read the okay. question? Because I didn't write it all the way down. What are human rights versus privileges what are human rights versus human privileges yeah so starting with the story of the bible um the first thing that i was thinking about was um in the exodus story the the manna in the desert um that that food was there um god provided water um god provided community um, and in the words of Daniel Erlander, um, everyone has enough and no one has too much. Um, and I think that's a very simple, um, but also beautiful, um, encapsulation of yeah. our rights as humans. Um, I also thought about, um, in the Sermon on the Mount, this is in Matthew 6, um, 25 through 26. So Rob, if you have that one to toss up on the screen and if you don't i will have to grab my phone very quickly right there sure right there perfect thank you um therefore i say to you don't worry about your life what you'll eat or what you'll drink or about your body what you'll wear isn't life more than food and the body more than clothes look at the birds in the sky they don't sow seed or harvest grain or gather crops into barns Your, your heavenly father feeds them aren't you worth much more than they are um and i think Right here, we see Jesus and, I guess by proxy, God, um, acknowledging that we need things in order to live and that it's important to God that those needs are met. Um, So I think the idea of of rights and what we have a right to is is tied to what our needs are. Um, We need food to live, and so food is a right. Um, We need water to live. Water is a right. Um, The other thing I was thinking about, um, 
I took an understanding Judaism class in seminary and they brought in a rabbi and during our Q&A section, um, someone asked her what Jews believe about abortion. Um, yeah. Which is a really broad topic. You know, I, I don't think it would be fair to nail down the opinions of an entire religious group, you know, based on one person. Um, yeah, I speak for so, all of Christianity. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, but what she said was, you know, Americans love to talk about their rights. In Judaism, yeah. we ask, what is your responsibility? Mm. Um, and that's just stuck in my brain anytime a yes. conversation about rights comes up. Um, because I think the posture is different. Asking about our rights is a posture of receiving, whereas asking about our responsibilities is a posture of giving. And I do think that a posture of giving is more reflective of who Jesus is. So when you were talking, I was reminded of our United States Constitution. Mm -hmm. And our United States Constitution outlines our constitutional rights right. as Americans. Freedom of speech, you know, the things like that. And I think things that like as that. things like that, there's a list, Bill of Rights, go look it up. Uh, <laughs> Please and so, actually read it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> not, not name calling uh, or not calling anybody out. So, so I think as United States citizens, right? Mm -hmm. we confuse our constitutional rights with human rights. Yeah. Right. Say more. Well, I think that our con there is a, there is a, a platform to develop a national right to this or that, because you live in a nation and that nation is, going to protect you in different ways and maybe different like values and ethics that they, the lawmakers and the government branch think are important for the people. So other nations have different types of regulating booklets that they use mm -hmm. as well that protect or don't protect certain rights for that nation. But there is a difference between a national set of rights mm -hmm. and human rights. So let's just unpack that just a little bit. Jake, say more yourself. <laughs> I want to say more if you need more time. Yeah, go for it. Sharia, say more. Like, I don't have the Bill of Rights memorized, um, yeah. but does it, does it grant us the right to enough to eat? does it grant us the right to shelter? Um, you know, I think some of the difference there between um, what we would call human rights and constitutional rights is that um, human rights do kind of come down more to basic needs. Yeah. And constitutional rights maybe assume that those basic needs are being met. Um, but in a lot of cases, they aren't. 
freedom of religion, freedom of speech, freedom to bear arms, freedom of assembly, Mm -hmm. freedom of like no search and seizure. Uh, There's lots of different like, like, you know, Mm -hmm. right to a jury, right to like, you're not going to have excessive bail, you know, those types of things. Constitutional rights. Be it in any formed government currently protect only those who are in power they're for protection they're not for the expansion of welfare Mm -hmm. and so the right to bear arms was to have a have a well-formed and trained militia so that each state could at one point break off and have their own entity, right? Mm-hmm. Because they had control their own power. Army. Yeah. yeah, but even their own their own government, their own right. their own country. Um, the pursuit of happiness, right? They could they could vote to leave the United States. Yes, but mm-hmm. in order the states to vote, that are united, yeah. In order to vote in the Constitution, you had to own land. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and back so, in the day. Yeah. Back in the day. And I'm not sure when or how that changed right now because I'm just not up to my constitutional. Yeah. Sure. It's okay. Anything. Yeah. Thanks. But um, human rights and privileges look at wealth and say, how do I say this without going too far? Well, um, let me pause. Let's, let's pause for a second because you said a lot there. Are you say are you saying <laughs> are you saying that a national right set of rights are privileges or rights? Um as the definition stands they are privileges. So the bill when... of rights the bill of rights is just a bunch of privileges that people gave themselves. Because they own land. The people who owned land gave themselves. Yeah. Correct. Right. So Kennedy, Senator Kennedy said that health care is a human right, not a privilege. He said that till the day he died. So he had a lot of conviction. Mm-hmm. That was a value. So is health care something like that? Sharia? Because that's a need. Mm-hmm. Are you saying that's a right or a I privilege? I think so. I think it ought to be a right. <laughs> that's the way the world ought to be. Yeah. In the nation that we are in and how much wealth that we have. Yeah. Healthcare should not even be questioned. <laughs> but it is a right and privilege granted to all people. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of ethics behind that because, well, let's take, let's take our ethic of health, right? If I'm a healthy person and you're saying that healthcare or Sharia said that needs are human needs like manna from heaven and like even Jesus and feeding the 5,000 food and needs like really human Mm -hmm. needs are rights not privileges those are rights so let's just throw in jesus had 
healthcare vouchers vouchers in those baskets too of fish and loaves. Jesus right? healed people. Yeah, well he did yeah, but he gave a voucher like cash in on this later. <laughs> so so Jesus was a healthcare practitioner. Come on by later. <laughs> Come by later, I'll I'll fix you up. So so you're saying healthcare is a right. But I'm a healthy person. Mm -hmm. Right. I try to keep my weight down. I don't smoke. I don't, you know, inject myself with, you know, meth. I don't, you know, heroin. I don't take fentanyl. I don't, you know, I, I run on a consistent basis. I eat vegan. I, you know, I try my very best to keep myself healthy. So are mm -hmm. you saying that because healthcare is a right, how about the schmuck down the road that smokes and drinks himself to sleep every night and, you know, injects himself with all kinds of drugs and I have to pay for his health care. Are you saying he's not normal? <laughs> well, that's, that's what, you know, the, the, I guess the, yeah, the, no, the counter argument to what you're saying is like, okay, so you're yeah. going to take my pursuit of happiness away or my, money away to pay for the schlep down the road that doesn't take care of themselves like I do. There's uh, a reason. Yeah. <laughs> there's a reason that he's a schlep down the road. There's a reason exactly. that he yes. smokes. There's a reason that, yeah. he, that he drinks himself to sleep. And that also has to do with healthcare. And no, Jake, it's, no. <laughs> it's the ideal <laughs> that if the other person's actually healthy, they'll contribute more to society. And so you'll actually get a greater return on your investment, mm -hmm. any investment that you have, if you focus on healthcare and give healthcare to all people because they will essentially be better utilities for you to use. That sounds very like authoritarian to me. It's it is putting it, it is, in economic terms. It is basic utilitarianism. So I'm not going to point what direction, but I have a person that is located on my street close to me. And that person is not healthy. They're wealthy. They're not healthy. Can't you point mm -hmm. to every direction? Oh. That person is healthy. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. So we can I, all point in every direction. Every direction. Yes. Perfect. Thank you. Around me, right, mm -hmm. is a bunch of healthy, unhealthy, and wealthy people. Mm -hmm. So, so as they are unhealthy, my health care goes up because I yeah. live in this area, and statistically, that's how health care works or yeah. payments. So, so I should pay for them to be more healthy or excuse me. Uh, basically I should pay to maybe perpetuate their problems or maybe band-aid their problems and maybe even make them more wealthy. Because if I band-aid their problem and get them back to work, they make more money and they can become wealthier. They're not fixing their health. They're just band-aiding their problem, taking some I, medication mm -hmm. or whatever. I don't think that healthcare has to do with just taking medication, though. 
Yeah. Well, sure. There's a lot of holistic ideas in healthcare. Okay. And so, and so if you look at socialist healthcare systems, they're usually more preventative mm -hmm. and not, and not, uh, what it was, what's the opposite? Responsive. Per, yeah. Preventative health and you have the other health. Yeah. Is there a word for it? Health. Um, it, the medical the system as we know it. The, <laughs> the, the U.S. medical system. And yeah. so you have like Canada, right? Uh, mm -hmm. Had an employee that um, I think got strep throat while she was climbing in Canada. Okay. bouldering. She went to the doctor and the doctor just took her phone number down and then tested her. And for $5, she got out. She was relatively healthy, but for $5, she got out with antibiotics, right? Okay. And a doctor's so visit. Doctor's visit prescribed, um, taken care of. And so as a whole, a whole entire system. Do you want to pay Canadian tax? Sure. The whole, I already do. It's high. We already That's do. fine. It's just our money is being funneled to like corporations and oil and stuff instead of actual social services. Well, that's probably a little bit true. Please there. give my taxes to food stamps. That'd be fine. Yeah, okay. I think I pay a higher percentage of taxes than any billionaire or millionaire, right? Yeah. I don't know. I, don't, I haven't looked at tax law in a while. Well, so, so my friend was preaching the other day and I was listening to one of my good friends and he said, human rights are God given and privileges are held by our privileges are distributed by the people who have the biggest stick. Okay. I actually really believe that statement. It kind of goes along with Jake's idea of, of, uh, the people in power rights or mm -hmm. constitutional rights or national right ideas are held by the people in power or really benefit the people in power. So we shouldn't be as Christians shouldn't, I don't want to put anybody on a should contract. Our worldview needs to be geared more towards the orphan, the widow, the mm -hmm. prostitute, the marginalized Samaritan, the person that's not accepted, the person that's thought of as the outcast, those that live on the margins, our, our worldview should be geared towards those people, not the pursuit of my own just happiness. Of course, I want to be happy, but there's that I, idea of I, pursuit. One thing for that. Maybe the per pursuit, hold on, pursuit of others. Go ahead. The pursuit of happiness as defined in the constitution is the pursuit of, of, per of owning property. Okay. Mm. So maybe instead of just like pursuit of owning property or pursuit of wealth building, maybe my pursuit should be of others that are marginalized. Correct. And maybe that's where my worldview mm -hmm my ethic. Does that transcend all of time? Yes. So if our normal, 
if we give the whole world an MMPI and we come up with a normal bell curve of what is normal, right? Does pursuing the marginalized to feed the poor, clothe the naked, give to those that don't have shelter the shelterless, pursue the marginalized, those that live on the margins, does that trend? I think that transcends all time. And transcends wherever that bell curve shifts too, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So a Christian ethic worldview somewhere in that worldview needs to say that we will pursue those that are marginalized, that we will love yeah. the marginalized. The lost sheep. I mean, gosh, that's an easy, mm -hmm. that's an easy crossover. Well, that's always reserved for the person who leaves the church. But right. it's not true. Because of the music. I mean, that's where we put those scriptures, right? Right. We got to go after that person because they don't like the music. So we need to get them back in church. They're the lost sheep. I think what I really like about what you were saying is that um, a lot of times in Christian circles, we say things like we need to love everybody, um, which is true. Um, but when that's what we focus on, we end up loving the people who are like us. Oh, absolutely. Because um, that tends yeah. to be who are around Um so I, I like people that, just like me. Right. So a yeah. purposeful, intentional, you know, we pursue the people who are left out um, is really important to a Christian worldview um, and the person of Jesus. It's mm -hmm. great. So instead of making everybody normal, maybe... We just need to follow what Jesus would do and pursue those that don't fit a norm. They're not fitting that mm -hmm. norm, whatever our cultural common is. Maybe that's what Jesus was telling us to do. Gosh, two questions. We got to two. We had <laughs> out of five. five. <laughs> out of five. We got two. At least we got those two. Hey, let's pick it up next week. Mm -hmm. Maybe we'll have time for a couple of more. But I really like this discussion. Thanks, you guys, for having it with me. I really like what you yeah. have to say, both of you. All right. Good night, everybody. Thank Thanks you. for joining us. Good night.